Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Wait, wait, wait. Banter, banter. Okay, that was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. You need to re- you need to place the cowbell clearly better. Should we do it again? All right, do it again. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. That's better. Hey. Uh, hey. <laughs> oh, I'm, I sound terrible today. I'm really phlegmy. Yes, you sound like it. Yeah, it's, it's not It's not good. It's not going good. You need, uh, you need my, Buckley's. My name is Rob Minot. Hey, he's back. Joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hey there. And we're down one. Mr. Steve is not here. Actually, we're down two. What do you mean? Well... Steve is not here because he's out sick again. Right. But you have recently had something bodily removed. Oh, this is terrible. No, it wasn't removed. <laughs> it, was just re- it was just put in its proper place. Yeah, I, it was So terrible. welcome back. Yeah, thank you. I had bilateral hernia surgery. Yes. So Rob's was, been out. That's why there's been no show recently. That's right. We missed a week for the first time in whatever, two and a half years. We missed a week. Because I could not get my ass off <laughs> my couch. That's right. We 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 gave him that week off. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I thought I really I thought I was so naive going in, because I've never really I've only had one other major surgery, mm-hmm. and this isn't even really a major surgery. It's actually a fairly standard procedure. It's still invasive. Uh, but it's invasive and it messes with your core. So you know your abdominal. Any sort of abdominal surgery is just really rough on the recovery because, you know, your core, you can't sit up, you can't roll over. Like, just everything hurts. <laughs> just everything hurts to do except lying on the couch and moaning with an ice pack on your groin. <laughs> That's it. That's the only thing that kind of doesn't feel too bad. But, uh, yeah, so so we're out a week. But he's back. But we're back. I'm back. I've, He's I limped, mobile. Limped, limped to the guitar dungeon today just for this. That's it's right. still a little sore, but two weeks out. But yeah, it's every day is getting a little better now. Excellent. The other thing I find about surgery, too, is that once you've had surgery, you just want to talk to everybody about your surgery, no matter how gross it is. I've, yeah. I just I found that everybody I talk to is they're like, how are you? And then I just like completely go on like a 20 minute diatribe on completely describing everything that I've gone through in the past two weeks. All right, everyone, send us your surgery stories. Rob wants to it, hear them. It's true. It just, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. It's just like, let me tell you about my bandages. <laughs> okay, now let me tell you about my staples. That's it's right. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, we've also got other news. <clears throat> we do, we do. What? AT Banter has a new email address. Oh, you want to announce this? I think we should. It's um, time. It's up right. and running. It's working. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to let you, I, I'm going to turn the mics over to you and you can tell people Alrighty. about our new email address because it took us long enough to set up. <laughs> That's right. It almost took a week to get this new email address set up. You can still send email to atbanterpodcast at gmail.com, 
But our new email address is cowbell at atbanter.com. So any email going to the AT Banter podcast Gmail account is being forwarded to Cowbell. So we will get all email if they're still sending them to the original account. There you go, folks. But cowbell at atbanter.com. It's very exciting news. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we need to work on that. I can't I see, damn it. <laughs> Steve's the cowbell expert. That's true. Yep. All right. Well, so, Ryan. Rob. Uh, what are we doing today now that we're here? Today, we are talking with Dr. Fernando Albatorio, who is the co founder of the Sunu Band. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're having the Sunu guys on again. Yeah, we had them on almost a year ago this week talking about the Sunu Band and its functionality and so we thought it was time to do a follow-up show well especially because they've got they've got a, a new update that they've crammed a, a bunch of new features into yeah. the thing. so we thought we'd have them on again all right let's open with some news an ontario-based hockey team for people with special needs has been told that some of its players cannot participate in upcoming tournaments because they use assistive devices while on the ice Jim Perkins launched the Capital City Condors 11 years ago to give players with developmental and physical challenges a chance to play Canada's favorite pastime. Uh, The controversy started last year when the organizers of a Kitchener, Ontario tournament informed the Condors that they had received a letter from the Ontario Hockey Federation saying that it ruled that certain players could not participate because they use assistive devices such as the K-Trainer which helps players who otherwise can't stand upright on the ice. So for those people who aren't familiar with uh, a K-Trainer, it's uh, it's essentially like a big sort of walker, I guess, uh, that rolls on the ice uh, that, that has some straps that attaches to the player's shoulder that lets them sort of stand upright on the ice. Right, and it, you know, the story goes on and talks about how I think they're filing a human rights complaint but it sounds to me like these teams have played multiple games together in the past. Did, did they played for 11 years. 11 years. In tournaments. And now all of a sudden, the Ontario Hockey Federation is saying, oh, no, this is in violation. You know. It seems weird. It's absolutely a, this bizarre. Is really weird. I, I really don't know what the, the Federation was, are, are thinking. Like, how, do they think that this gives them an, like an advantage, an unfair advantage? Over the other teams? I think it has something to do with the insurance policy that the Ontario Hockey Federation probably has for their teams or that the teams have to have for their players. I don't, I don't know, but I think it's related to insurance. Hmm. But that must mean that they, their insurance policy must have changed over the past year, and that's that's got to be what... Or nobody's ever looked at it, and now it's just coming to the forefront. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, like I said, it was very... It sounds like there's something missing to this story. But it's really, you know, it makes it, of course, it puts the team in, in an you know, incredibly awkward position because, of course, they're not going to go to a tournament and bar some of their own players from playing. Yeah. I mean, especially and because, you know, all these players, I'm sure it's such a thrill. It means so much to them to be able to play in the first place. Well, there was, a, there was an interview, again, in the story. If you click the video and listen to it, one of the coaches from the able-bodied teams has said they have no problems playing with the Condors. No problems at all. It's great. It makes it inclusive for everyone to get on the ice and play the game. Um, it just sounds like this whole issue is very trivial, and the OHF is just making 
you know, a, a mountain out of a molehill. Well, you know, uh, you, hopefully they come to some sort of agreement because, um, you know, there is talk of a human rights complaint, which I mm -hmm. think that is completely valid. Sure. Um, you know, this is this is ridiculous, you know, and the people who are paying the price are these poor kids uh, that all of a sudden are being told that they are, you know, they, they can't play hockey. And isn't there enough of that in society? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So a little bit frustrating. We'll have to keep an eye on the story and see how this shakes out. Well, I wonder, you know, like you know, the, the Canadian blind hockey. You know, we have some friends that are on the Canadian, uh, that play, Canadian play blind hockey. And, you know, I should ask them because they've played against able-bodied teams and, and other, you know, yeah, disabled teams. And I wonder, you know, is there issues related to insurance policies or is it a provincial thing? You know, maybe maybe Ontario's regulations are different than BC's and vice versa. So I'm have to get somebody on to talk about that. I was just going to say that you should, you should reach out to this because honestly, this is a this is an important issue. Um, you know, inclusion. Um, you know, we've been fighting for inclusion for so long mm -hmm. and to actually have uh, a team together where where, you know, we can have people on it um, that are finally getting a chance to play in tournaments, to play hockey, um, and to all of a sudden have the rug pulled out from under them um, by some sort of, of BS um, bureaucracy mm -hmm. uh, is just frustrating to beyond belief. Yeah, pencil pusher. Yep. Next one. Let's talk about Barbie. About time, Mattel, okay. but good on you. Yeah, Mattel has unveiled a new two. line of dolls, and included in this new line of dolls are two dolls with disabilities. Right. So one of them is Barbie with a wheelchair. Yep. And the other one, I believe, was a, a Barbie leg. with a removable prosthetic leg. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Oh, you know what? What? Uh, they've even included a wheelchair ramp in the Barbie dream house. Oh, nice. <laughs> Excellent. So now we need Ken to, so he can push Barbie up the ramp. Well, we need to, we need to get or Ken a motorized. <laughs> or poor Ken. Talk about not being inclusive. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully other toy companies and manufacturers will take note of this and, you know, get on the bandwagon. Well, the, the, the important part about this, this particular story, I think, is that this is, it's a, it's a small gesture, mm -hmm. but it's, it's aimed at just the right demographic because it's, it's the kids in the next generation that need this message the most. That, you know, the, the idea of inclusion, the idea that people with disabilities are, you know, are, are there. Well, and it's, it's changing our, our men, changing our mentality, you know. I, I was listening to a Microsoft AI an accessibility podcast recently, and one of the speakers there, one of her quotes was, "It's not the wheelchair that makes your building inaccessible; it's the stairs." Right. You know, and if we can start thinking that way, that people with disabilities have all the same rights and freedoms as any able-bodied person out there. And we start thinking about inclusion and accessibility from the very beginning, from the foundations. You know, our world is going to be a much happier, happier place. That's right. If climate change doesn't kill us. 
Well, that's the next generation's problem. We've already messed that up. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry, next generation here. Have some inclusive Barbie dolls. That's right. Sorry about the polar ice caps. But, you know, it's in the last couple of years, we're seeing a big, big push on inclusivity, accessibility. You know, even recently in the news, we're getting some new emojis yep. showing disabilities, white canes, guide dogs, wheelchairs. You know, it's happening. The world is starting to wake up. Yeah, no, it, it is good. You know, and again, you know, all these seem, may seem like small gestures, uh, but they all add up. So good on Mattel for doing this. Absolutely. I yep. I love it. We finally got some some good news. I feel like all our all our the news that we've done in a lot of our shows lately are all bad news, but yeah, they are. Oh, oh, we have more news. What? Ryan has switched to an iPhone again. Woo! Goodbye, Android. You suck. This makes no, no. sense to me. This Android makes doesn't no suck sense to me you're, because you're not you, blind. You baffle me, sir. Okay, but anyways. anyways. Okay, well, this is no, this is big news because. I'm sure there are a few members of our audience that are jumping up and down for joy because they're going to be like, good, now, now they won't be crapping on Apple every episode. Well, no, Apple's still in the news. We're still going to crap on them because they make the headlines. Okay, but okay, but why don't you tell people like what, what did make you switch? Because seriously, this is, this, is a, this is an issue. It, it, it was an issue for me, and I finally got to the breaking point where I had to pull the trigger. So I started out with an iPhone 3GS and went to a 4. And then I thought, okay, Android's getting to the point where people are talking about accessibility and implementing accessibility, so I'm going to give it a shot. So back in 2014, I started out with my first Android phone, and I've been on Android ever since. And, you know, for my uses, Android has been fine. I've had a Moto X, I've had a Samsung Galaxy S5, and my last phone was an LG G6. My biggest problem with my Android phones was that a lot of these system apps that come preloaded, like on LG's G6, I would get crashes almost daily where it would say system UI has stopped or this program has stopped working and needs to close. And I'd reboot my phone and everything would be fine for another couple of days. And that just got to the point where it's like, this, this is just, this never happened on my iPhone. And so the other issue I had was pretty much on all of my Android phones, I wasn't able to do a search for contacts. So I'd bring up the contacts app, I would tap the search button, and my cursor wouldn't go in there, the keyboard wouldn't pop up, and I couldn't type. So unless I had to be on a certain area of the word search, sometimes I could double tap it and it would put me into the field, other times it wouldn't. So you know, I t typically had to, I, I couldn't even navigate my, my contacts by headings. You know, so I could switch the talkback navigation to headings. I could swipe left or down or whatever the gesture was, and it wouldn't wouldn't do anything. So navigating through contacts was becoming a nightmare. And sure, I could use my voice to say, you know, hey, G, call so-and-so, and that was fine. But on my iOS device, now that I've got gotten back to it, in my contacts, I can switch the rotor to headings, go swipe down, 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 it goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G, so on. I get to the one I want. I can just tap it and call, or I can type in the search box. The keyboard comes up. It just works. And maybe that's just because of the way Apple separates its apps from each other. Like, there's, I don't think Apple shares any of the app information with each other. I think Android shares a lot more information between apps. 
um, and maybe that's what was causing my crash as an Android. You know, um, not a big Braille user, but from other people I've spoken to, the Braille support on iOS is way ahead of Android. And you don't even hear Google talking about Brailleback anymore. So I don't know what kind of development is being done um, on that side. But to me, there's a reason most of the blindness users out there are still on iOS. Sure, some have jumped boat and gone to Android. And maybe in time, I'll go back as well. But I needed a phone that was stable, reliable, and just worked. And so I'm back on iOS. Again, this has come comes back around to you. You went back to Apple because you knew that you would buy an Apple phone and it was going to be stable. Yeah, it was going to work. Dependable. And whereas, I think whereas with Android, you know, an LG might not be as good as a, a Samsung, which might not be as good as a Pixel. Or exactly. It just is going to vary. That you pay you pay for that choice that Android gives you. And I th- exactly. And I think you know that's one of the benefits of Android is you've got choice of phones and form factors. But it can bite you in the ass. It, it can bite you in the ass. And you know, again, the other side of Android is that the release schedule for updates is dog slow. You know, my LG G6 hasn't been updated in, you know, well, I think it's still on Android Oreo. And Android, you know, Pi is out now and, and 10 is coming out this fall. So I'm never going to get those updates on my G6. And my G6 isn't even two years old. Right. So with iOS, I'm going to get updates more frequently. And again, the experience on an iPhone is a pure iPhone experience. Right. And maybe, maybe like I said, on a Pixel, I would have that same experience. None of, none of the bloatware. Well, you know, I listen, I respect that. I have a phone that I can rely on. <laughs> you know, I can answer calls on. One of my biggest beefs on Android, and you know, just thinking about this now, is that if a phone call came in on my G6, finding the answer button was never consistent. So I had it set up so that I could hit the volume up or the volume down button. That would stop the ring. It wouldn't hang up the call, but it would stop the ringing. And then I could use my finger and find the answer button on the phone, double tap it and answer the call. Because I was missing so many calls on that phone because I couldn't find the answer button. On the iPhone, I just two finger double tap, boom, I've answered the call, I've ended the call. It's so much easier. And Android needs to get on that bandwagon, make answering a touchscreen device a lot easier. And maybe there's a way to do it, maybe there's a third party app that'll let you do it. I tried looking and didn't really find anything that worked the way I wanted it to. Um, but you know, Android gives you the choice. You know, you can go in and use apps like Tasker to go in and, and customize different things. And but I was tired of doing that. I just wanted something that worked. So I'm back. Now have you now have you set it all up? Is it, yep. is it, so? Got how, how was that process? Very 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 easy. You know, there's definitely some new things to it, like Face ID. Um, there's no home screen, no physical home button, I mean, on the iPhone XR, which is the device I got. So basically, you had to set up Face ID. And yeah, you just hold the phone up to your face. It goes click. You hear a camera snap, and you're unlocked. Mm. Swipe up from the bottom. You're on your home screen. Moving apps around the screens hasn't changed since my iPhone 3GS and my 4. So I got all my apps installed and into folders, and I created folders. All that has been the same. Um, there's definitely some new things I need to get used to. You know, they've they've got something called shortcuts now, which I'm kind of intrigued about, where you can you know have multiple things happen by activating a shortcut. But I'll get there. Right now, you know, I've got what I need on there. I've got seeing AI on my phone, which again, you know, I've got a portable document reader now. 
Um, well, that's good. We, I mean, we, and we should actually talk about that a little bit on the show once, yeah. you, once you've gotten your feet wet with that, because, uh, we, you know, we've been wanting to get our hands on it for a while. Yeah. And again, you know, that's another reason I went back to the iPhone is because I, I wanted access to these apps that companies like Microsoft are releasing to iOS first, mm -hmm. like seeing AI soundscape. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, well, me too, because now we're going to have a, more of a balanced uh, balanced <laughs> look at, the, at these different ecosystems. Like, seriously, like, sure. I, think it's, I think it's important. I, I, so you're the new Apple fanboy in yep, the group. I am. Woo! Go Apple. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you're going to get people, cowbell at atbenefit.com, everybody. <laughs> Flame this guy for being a hypocrite. <laughs> hypocrite? No way. I gave Android four years of my life. I might go back, but for now, next two, I'm on iOS. Hey, Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, Assistive Technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, we do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Right. All right, so I want to welcome to the show Dr. Fernando Albertorio from SUNU. Thank you. It's a pleasure being with, on AT Banter. And yeah, great meeting you guys. Well, great. Well, listen, why don't we start out with uh, just telling us a little bit about the SUNU band for anybody who uh, hasn't heard of it before, uh, what, what the device is and what it can do. Sure, absolutely. So at Sunu, you know, we've been working on, um, on creating our product called the Sunu Band since 2012. And essentially, the Sunu Band is, a, is the first sonar smartwatch. It's a mobility aid and navigation tool for blind and low vision pedestrians and travelers. Uh, what it means is that it uses sonar with echolocation to provide awareness uh, and better perception of objects, obstacles that are within the environment. Uh, the Sydney Band works as a complement to the white cane and the guide dog by extending awareness beyond what the cane can reach or the guide dog, meaning that it's going to improve awareness to obstacles that could hit your chest, uh, your head, or your arms. Uh, things like tree branches, uh, signposts uh, as you're walking about, but also works indoors as well to improve awareness in, in those uh, situations where sometimes, you know, um, use of the white cane um, you know, it, it isn't as best um, for, like, for instance, when you're moving in a queue or in a line and you want to know when to move up or navigating around barriers or banisters. Um, there are various applications that, that our users have found for the Sunu Band. And as I mentioned, you know, it's a smartwatch. So we extend on the applications around mobility to navigation to providing support and orientation through our Compass app. So you know if you're walking north, south, east, or west as well as uh, identifying places that are around you with our Place Finder app. Our Place Finder app works with Google 
uh, Google Maps and it allows you to explore the map using the Cineband to know about things that are in your surroundings. So you can find that coffee shop or restaurant that you're interested in and checking out, uh, discover new things that are around you. Now, this, is, this uses what's called haptics, and there certainly is, are going to be people out there who don't actually know what the hell haptics is. Could you give us a quick rundown on, on what haptics is and how, it, how the Sunuband incorporates it? Absolutely. So haptics, uh, haptics is basically the way we communicate, um, uh, especially tactile communication uh, with uh, with devices. Uh, the Cineband uses haptics to communicate uh, the how close or far we are to an object. Uh, the way that works is through vibration pulses that you feel on your wrist. As you feel more vibration pulses, that means that you're getting closer to an obstacle in your environment. Or if you feel less vibration pulses, then you're getting further away. And haptics allows you to do a lot more than that. Um, you can tell the time through haptics. Uh, you can use haptics to know if you're going north or south uh, through through our through our compass app. Uh, so you know we've been working on haptics since 2012, um, getting becoming really really good at. at understanding how we can employ haptics to communicate useful information to blind and low vision travelers using our, uh, our product, our Cineban, uh, in a meaningful way. Now, haptics has, has, have been around uh, as mobility aids for a while. Um, you know, there's, there's been a, a variety of different devices that have tried it in the past to varying degrees of success. Um, has, it, has it mainly been that the, the technology just hasn't quite been there before now for the, as the reason why haptics really hasn't taken off? Well, that's a good question. Um, what happened in the early days is that, you know, since the 60s, we, we've been seeing a lot of um, travel aids uh, being developed by researchers and, and inventors. And, and so the first ones that we saw were the MOAT sensors um, and, and other devices using um, sonar to to act as like a clear path indicator, giving you, you know, your, your information about obstacles that, that are nearby you as well. Um, Think about the 60s you know these these technologies these sensors were huge they just came you know they were developed um you know sonar was developed uh, further developed and improved upon um after world war ii so putting these devices onto onto an actual person and and even a blind and visually impaired person you know took a, took quite a bit of leaps in in the technology and in the 60s you know we had we, we were developing the transistor uh, and that was that was still you know there were those components were still large. What's happened today is the miniaturization of these sensors. And that's opened up a huge amount of opportunities for uh, for incorporating these into wearables. Uh, you know, mobile technologies allowed us to connect to devices uh, with smartphones. And what what the, the exciting thing is the miniaturization uh, that now you have more power on a chip to do a lot more processing. Uh, and that's what we incorporate on the Sunu band. Uh, the physics remains the same. The way the sonar works, exactly the same since uh, since um, you know the 60s. Uh, what we do is we improve upon that by adding electronics, and adding uh, more computational power to to the device to provide better information to to the to the user. Uh, for instance, detecting corners, uh, being able to detect those edges. Uh, is something that, that that we can do with uh, with uh, with sonar technology, 
And in fact, you know, as you know, Leslie Kay showed uh, with her with her devices, um, you can actually know the type of object, uh, distinguish between a human or uh, say a tree or mm. a glass door. Um, these are the exciting potentials that you can do with uh, with already with echolocation with the sonar. Um, but now we have the ability to to link it up to a computer that's in your pocket, which is your smartphone. Right. And this is the unique of Sunu is that we can connect our device to the smartphone and leverage its computing power to know, to give you information about places that are around you, to help you navigate to a particular place of interest, as well as provide you updates to improve the device. It used to be you buy it, you get an electronic travel aid, and that's what you brought. Um, and it doesn't evolve with you. The Sunu band actually evolved with you because we're constantly updating it. We're constantly improving the functionalities and we're obviously adding applications, new features to the device. Have you found in getting feedback from your user groups that it, it can be kind of distracting if you've got, you know, you're listening or, or getting the tactile feedback from your cane or you're giving your dog commands you may have your GPS playing in your bone conduction headphones, and then you've also got your wrist vibrating. What has kind of the feedback been from your user groups on the Sunu band and its, you know, haptic feedback? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like um, some people actually take to it differently um, than than other users, and so there's also a bit of a learning curve with uh, with haptics, understanding how we can transmit that information to the individual that is using it in the real time settings. In other words, you know, they're walking about, they're getting, they're getting sensations um, uh, about the environment. And so one of the first things that we want to be clear is that, you know, we, are, we try to make the technology non-obtrusive to the other senses. We don't want to in, uh, interfere with the sense of hearing. We're using that all the time when we're walking about. Uh, and so with the haptic vibrations, we want to make them as simple and as intuitive as possible. Um, so some of our users uh, categorize Cineband as like an extension of their senses. They're, you know, they tell me that I'm using it. I may not be even paying attention to, to the pulses that I feel until they reach a certain level. That that's way that's when I become alert, and that's when I know I need to pay attention. And then you know, pay attention to my my Cineband, and then obviously navigate around that that obstacle. Um, when it comes to learning how to tell time or or utilize. Uh, some of the other functions of, of the device. Again, it, it depends on how users are employing it in their particular scenarios. And what I mean by that is, for instance, you know, I as a low vision traveler, I like using the Sunu band to know exactly what's across the street. So I'll, I will go into my place finder and I will activate that app and I'll simply point around and then try to identify, you know, where's the Starbucks so I can grab a cup of coffee or the train station if I need to jump on a train. And it's been super helpful. Um, I could use my phone and pull it out, but what it enables me to do is receive that info via audio through my Bluetooth headset. Uh, and I can interact with Google Maps in a hands-free way. And so what is the range of detection on the sonar? Yeah, the range of detection is the 16 feet. Um, we have two sonar modes. The, the first mode um, is what we call the outdoor mode. So that gives you 16 feet range in front of you. 
uh, high sensitivity to detect tree branches, limbs, bushes, um, things that you would encounter outdoors. And then the second mode is our indoor mode that gives you four to five feet, um, about one and a half meters uh, detection, uh, detection range, and then a lower sensitivity, a narrower beam, so that it's optimal for catching corners, gaps, and doorways. All of these, you can adjust them via our mobile app. So within the app, you can, you can actually tune the range and adjust it to your liking. And the app is available on both iOS and Android. Yeah, so since the last time we, um, we, we, we chatted on AT Banter, um, we've released the app for, for Android. We're excited. Uh, we did a beta run uh, last year, some, some testing. And then, you know, we, we uh, redid the app towards the end of the year. So it's now available with uh, the same functionalities as the iOS app. Hooray. Yeah, we're very excited about that. The question on everybody's lips is, will it work underwater? Will it work underwater? Yeah. If I want to take up snorkeling or scuba diving, will it detect objects in front of me? I don't think that was on everybody's <laughs> lips at all, but we'll let Fernando answer. You know, I'm curious now. You know, actually, so so no, we don't recommend that you go swimming <laughs> uh, or snorkeling with the Sunuban, even though sonar, um, you know, the medium, the perfect medium for sonar is, is water, right? Mm -hmm. That's what yep. exactly. they invented. Um, we don't have the, the waterproof, um, you know, type of sonar on the Sunuban. Um, our medium is air. So that said, the Suniban is um, water uh, resistant. Um, you can use it in a light rain uh, or if it's snowing. In fact, I use it in Boston all the time, especially in the winter um, because of those tree branches that, that hang low because of the ice. Mm -hmm. So I'm using it all the time in sometimes humid weather. Um, and if it just becomes wet for any reason, you just let the sonar sensor dry out and then it should work again fine. Well, maybe that's something you can have for version two is you can make it <laughs> waterproof. waterproof so you can go swimming and detect Rus Russian subs <laughs> as, as you're snorkeling. Well. Yes. <laughs> well, let, let's talk a little bit about, about echolocation. Was that always originally a part of the plan? And, and why did you, you guys go sort of that route? That's a great question. So originally what happened, um, you know, when Sunu had its beginnings, uh, my two colleagues, Marco Trujillo and Quali uh, Padilla. Uh, Marco and Quali were, were, were doing a community service project at a school for blind children in Guadalajara. Now, Marco and Quali are both engineers and avid inventors, and they had created other type of enabling technologies that they competed in hackathons and, and other competitions. And it wasn't until they, they came to the school and they started observing how children will play, and they noticed that as children who get older, they become more and more sedentary. The younger ones were fearless. They would run around and they wouldn't mind if they had accidents or bumps along the way. And they also noticed how orientation and mobility was happening for them. Uh, even though they struggled a lot, they always looked forward to their Thursday orientation and mobility lesson. So Mark and Kali tagged along. They learned a lot um, and observed the children during their, those lessons and, and during play. And they brought in one of their devices that they had, uh, and it actually had a sonar sensor and some vibrating motors and cables all over the place. And they showed it to the kids, and the children started playing around with it and immediately wanted to like do makeshift mazes. They were wanting to take it out in O&M. Um, they were, in fact, using it with their instructor during O&M training. Uh, and that, you know, after some time, it caught the attention of the teachers. And within a month or so, 
that caught the attention of teachers and the parents and other people in the school were like, we want to crowdfund this. We want to learn more. And that's kind of what got Mark and Quali in that journey. Um, yeah, you could use uh, other type of sensors, uh, sonar. Uh, the initial thinking was it's low power, it's miniaturized. Um, you know, having other sensors could consume more, more power, could have more noise. Uh, and again, you know, haptics being a new, being a new thing, um, you know, they, they were really interested in, in exploring that whole world of haptics, how we communicate a lot of information to an individual in real time, and yet make it useful for navigating uh, an, an environment. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the, the, the psychology of haptics is kind of interesting to me. Um, how much research did you guys have to do in order to come up with, you know, the perfect method on, on conveying the most information in the most intuitive way? Well, we're always doing research and we're always working with our users, um, not just our, our, our people in our community who are using the Cineband, but also experts alike. Um, you know, so, so we did a lot of research, a lot of iterations, uh, iterations of the Cineband since 2012 when it first started at the school. Um, but we've worked with the National Federation of the Blind and their Jernigan Center in Baltimore. Received a lot of useful feedback. We've iterated the device over seven different times uh, throughout, throughout its course and before going into our public beta uh, with, with the Sunuban. Um, when we think about haptics and how people would, would uh, internalize that, how, we, how, how they learn how, what these haptic syntax means, um, haptics is is actually uh, a pretty complex subject. It involves a lot of neuroscience um, and, and behavioral science as well. Um, thinking how we interface with these devices and how we can get more communications from them. Right now, if we think about haptics in the commercial space uh, or, or in commercial electronics, your cell phone uses haptics, your Xbox controller uses haptics, um, they vibrate. Uh, and in the case of your phone, you get a message, it vibrates, you pull out your phone and you hear the message. It's very binary, right? You got a message or you don't have a message. What we're trying to do with Sunu is we're trying to relay spatial information orientation so that you can target, so that you can get orientation. And then, you know, hopefully the next level is so you can start making some spatial maps in your mind to understand what are the things that are around you? What are the, the how do I navigate this unknown area so that I can not just get to point B, but also do it in a way that it's enjoyable. Now, the Sunuban sits on the wrist. Was that always the original design? And what is it about the placement of it on the wrist that, that is the most ideal spot for it? Uh, great question. Um, so it started as a wrist-worn, a wrist-worn device. Um, you know, when Kali and Marco first came about the idea uh, as, and saw the initial reaction of kids and how they would take to it. Um, you know, the idea of having it on a wrist was very unique um, because when we look at ETAs, uh, they've either been handheld, they've either been worn on the head or worn around the neck. And yet a lot of the reasons for uh, the poor adoption is, as well as the, the learning curve is, you know, people who are visually impaired uh, don't want to look foolish. If you, if, you, if you make a survey of folks, um, that's one of the top, top answers, um, you know, people, 
are concerned about how they look, the perception right. uh, of themselves in public. The idea of having a wrist-worn device um, now opened up the doors for making something that looks stylish, that looks like a smartwatch, and that lowered that, that social pressure of the stigma. Um, we have a lot of users who are low vision, who still have some functional vision. They resist using the white cane because they don't want to be using that uh, for some reason or whatever personal reason they have. And yet if the studio band can then provide them with that extra awareness and that extra confidence, then that's great because, I mean, like, it'll get them out of the house. Yeah. So on average, you know, how much training would you suggest somebody take to get familiar with the senior band and, and its functions? Uh, good question. I mean, training is a very important part of our, of our, um, of our product. And we certainly are continue to put in a lot of effort into training. Um, it varies person to person, but first of all, you know, getting familiar with the operation of the device, our senior band, you know, has a lot of multifunctional buttons, um, there's two of them, but yet each of these buttons do a couple tasks. So getting familiar with the device uh, should take you about uh, uh, 10 to 15 minutes to, to learn those functions really quickly. We do that through online tutorials. Our mobile app has a training, uh, and we're trying to make that interactive. And then uh, getting to use the device in mobility scenarios and understanding how, how it relates to to mobility and how to interpret that feedback. Uh, we recommend, you know, going through our, our, our tutorials that are available online and taking it step by step. Starting, you can learn how to use the new band and understand the vibration feedback by standing in one place and understand what this vibration means when you when there's an obstacle nearby or what it means when you get closer and closer to like a wall, for instance. And we have tutorials online that will walk you through that and then it's essentially learning at your pace. Once you get the fundamentals down of what this means, what the haptic vibrations mean, um, then it's a matter of exploring. Maybe you can work with it with an O&M or with a sighted companion, um, you know, and then understanding, okay, maybe it's not useful for me in this scenario, but maybe there's a scenario that I, it really take, it's really important for me. For instance, like navigating a line at the Starbucks or at the bank, or maybe it's in my neighborhood where there's tree branches. And, and in my case, I have to deal with that a lot. Uh, so that's my scenario. And that's my, my, my most important use of the senior band um, is understanding where those tree branches are so that I don't get scraped in the head. Right. So there's a bit of self-exploration there with, with the senior band. And we continue to work with guides. I've been prepared by Daniel Kish and his team at World Access for the Blind. Right. We continue to provide that material and we're gonna find ways that we can do that more interactively to, so that we can speed up that learning curve. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about um, how the Suniband is is expandable, how you guys are continuing to put more and more features into it. And I understand that you guys have done, just recently have done a big update. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the, the updated features um, that you guys have, have just put in the new firmware? Yeah, so since the last year that we that we um, were on AT Banter, we've done quite a lot in terms of firmware advancements and and our mobile app. Um, again, releasing the app for for Android now. Uh, within the within the um, device now, we have apps uh, that one of them is the the Vo Sunu Voice services. So Sunu Voice enables you to hear exactly uh, when you press the home button. It'll tell you that you press the home button. Uh, it'll tell you which sonar mode you're in. And 
now you can also with Suna Voice use the device as a talking watch if you want, as well as then access our menu of applications. Uh, we've added a phone finder and tracker app that allows you to find your phone. Uh, once it's paired up with the Suna Band, you can quickly activate it by pressing and holding the home button and it'll start searching for your phone. And that's a very, a lot of, a lot of folks really like that one. Uh, they find it yeah, super man. useful. We've added the Compass app, which enables you to uh, utilize the Sunu Band as an actual compass and know if you're facing north, south, east, or west. Uh, it provides you dual feedback, so feedback with vibrations. So if you're facing north, you get constant vibration. If you're facing south, you get a staccato sensation. As well as with audio, it, it can supplement that, giving you the, the cardinal direction via audio feedback. Um, we've added an, an activity tracker um, that was recently through some user feedback. Um, you know, we they, a lot of folks were asking about an activity tracker. Um, we built a very simple one, uh, but with plans to to improve it and expand upon it based on based on what we hear from our community. Uh, and then we've leveraging again on the uh, on the on the voice feedback. Um, we've created what is called proximity voice, so that the person when they're on this on the sonar mode they can hear exactly how far away they are to an obstacle. So if it's three feet or, or I'm sorry, two meters, three meters, four meters, um, the device can actually give you that audio cue in terms of distance. So for those people who are interested in the Sunu Band, uh, where can they find you guys online? Sure, they can find us uh, at sunu.com uh, or they can uh, reach out to me directly at fernando at sunu.io. So that's Fernando, F-E-R-N-A-N, D as in dog O at sunu, S-U-N-U dot I-O. Um, that's how they can reach us and they can check out uh, check us out on Facebook. Uh, click like. Uh, we put out a lot of videos and content on Facebook so we can, you know, please share that. Um, and, you know, we're always publishing new material there. Perfect. Fernando, I want to thank you again for uh, coming on and talking to us about the new updates. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's do this again uh, once you guys uh, come up with uh, some new stuff coming down the pipe. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on AT Banter, guys. All Have right. a wonderful day. Fernando, you take too. care. Cool. Wow, man. So they've they've come a ways in a year, right? Eh? There's a lot of new functionality built into the Cine Band. Yep. Gonna have to get out there and shoot some video. You know, I feel like they uh, they got really lucky too, because I feel like they're they're hitting on three real hot topics right now, which is echolocation is is very popular, haptics is is an evolving field right now and wearables yeah and i wonder though you know like how many people there are definitely people who like having a dedicated you know watch on their wrist instead of having to pull their phone out all the time to check the time or check the gps or stuff like that but haptics has been around like you said since the 60s and we've had haptic shoes we've had haptics and canes just wondering you know what or where the holy grail is going to be or what the product's going to be that really just puts haptics over the edge. You know, yeah. the Sudaband is great. You know, like, he, like... You know what I think? Well, I mean, my opinion is, and we talked to them about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, but there was a company that was trying to incorporate haptics into touchscreens. Yes, that's right. And, and make tactile touchscreens. Um, I feel like if they, can, if they can figure that out, that could be the next big thing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, I listen to multiple podcasts and I still hear people talking about they don't use their touchscreen laptop because they just 
don't need to reach up and touch the screen. They can do everything from the mouse or keyboard. Mm, true. So, you know, how many people are actually reaching up and touching their touch screens? But again, maybe like you say, if, it, if there's haptics in it or, or tactile feedback of some sort, you know, it would give us visual representations of, you know, maybe a graph. Right. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a, a tactile map up on a screen, yep. right, of your neighborhood or, or whatever. So there's definitely a place for it. Yeah, there's there's a ton of potential, and mm -hmm. you know, as Fernando said, um, you know, it's the the ability to make it into smaller and smaller components uh, that's really bringing it about and and really making it a, a really viable solution right now, because they can just pack it into these small devices. Yep. And you know, really fine tune the haptics mm -hmm. uh, as well. You know, the fact that it has, you know, edge detection and, and it can detect doors and stuff, that's huge. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. Yeah, you can also drop us an email if they so desire. AT, oh, just kidding. It's <laughs> cowbell at atbanter.com. That's right. Much can, easier email to remember. That's right. And it's legit. None of this Gmail stuff anymore. <laughs> Uh, scurvy dog. No, I've just been <clears throat> phlegmy the last few days. I really don't think I'm getting sick. I just, just I don't know what's going on with me. Yeah, it's probably something with the hernia. He's broken. <laughs> He's broken. He's a broken toy. Yeah. <laughs> can hardly wait till I get three, four. They say they say the recovery for this is is like at three weeks I'm supposed to be about at eighty percent. Oh yeah. And then about six weeks you're at you're kind of back at. 100%. So. All right. So hang in there, audience, for another four weeks, and we'll finally get this thing going properly. That's right. <laughs> Expect some whining to take place. That's right. Maybe we just need to play you with wine. This is it's, it's day 15 f mm -hmm. for me. So. Yep. And I'm already back in the guitar dungeon. My doctor would probably <laughs> tell me it should be at least another week on the couch, but... I'm no, I think that's what you're telling yourself. <laughs> dedicated podcaster that I am. Journalist. I braved the elements. That's right. Braved well, the snow. Speaking of elements, there's more snow in the forecast. I know. Yeah, that's crazy. That's what I hear. Yeah, I should get out of here. Yeah. So anyway, they can also find us on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram. Instagram. Uh, all right. That is going to about do it for us. Thanks so much for listening in, and we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take. <laughs>